Hello, dear listeners. We're on to Parak Chafbez, chapter 22 in Tehillim. I have a cute story. Actually, I put out there that I was offering sponsorships, and like just like a few minutes later, I get an email, and it's an email from my website. So when I get an email from my website, it says in the subject line, new client from website. So I get the email, I open it up, and it says, Hi, y'all. I would like to sponsor a tea and Tehillim class. Love, Shlaimi. So my big brother, instead of texting me, I guess he decided to be all official about it, sent me an email through my website that saying that he wants to sponsor my class, which is very appreciated. Um, and I said, what do you want to sponsor it for? And he said, um, I, want to, I want it to be just, just because I love you. I want to sponsor it because I love you. And, and no matter what you say, no matter what you say, I love you. And I'm like, thinking, scratching my head, wait a second, like, what's that supposed to mean? Like, what exactly do you think I'm saying here that you have to love me anyways, right? Um, what would we do without big brothers, right? But anyways, I do want to tell you that my big brother, Shlaimi, and his wife, Chevy, are such a power couple. They really embody everything that we learn here in Tantahillim. They live their lives full of gratitude and joy and all the values that we're striving for here, and may they continue to see health, happiness, parnasa, and naches pouring into their lives always. So let's look at this beautiful Parak Chafbez. Parak Chafbez is actually David HaMelech telling us about the tefillah of Esther as she's going to be walking in, he's, he's foreseeing into the future, the Purim story. And he's talking about the tefillah of Esther. He writes out here what Esther's going to be saying as she's preparing to walk into the, to the, the, the throne room of Achashverosh. And the question is, what, what's the connection here between David and many years later, Esther, like, you know, what, what's the connection? And the connection is that David HaMelech saw a lot of things in Ruach HaKodesh that were going to happen to the Jews in the exile in the future. The Alshech explains that he was specifically inspired by the story of Purim because he actually had a huge part in it, so much so that it wouldn't have been able to happen if not for the part that he had in it. What part did he did David have in the Purim story? So if you remember the fellow named Shimi Ben Geira from 6th grade Navi class, he came and cursed David. And David was supposed to kill him because someone who curses the king, Morid Bamachos, he's Chayev Misa. But David didn't kill him because he foresaw that out of Shimi Ben Geira was going to come Mordechai. And we know that Mordechai was Ben Yair Ben Shimi. Shimi was Mordechai's grandfather. So David said, for my, you know, I'll give up on my kavod, on my dignity, for the sake of Kali Yisrael, they should be saved in the future. And so David had a big part in it, and that's why he was inspired to write about the tefillah of Esther. And another reason I think that he wrote about Esther's tefillah is because as you, we read the tefillah, the beautiful tefillah of Esther, we're going to actually see a lot of similarities between the style of Esther and the style of David's Prakim and Tehillim. And we see how they start off, she also, she starts off with despair, then she talks it into herself that she should have trust, and then she ends off with a message of hope, a, a very uplifting message saying that she's going to be, you know, at the end of all this danger, I'm going to be praising Hashem, and that's exactly what she does to the whole, you know, to the whole nation. She reads the Megillah, and she ends off on that high. Very often, like we see David HaMelech, even in the hardest times, how he, get, he strengthens himself, shifts his mindset, and gets to a better place. So, you know, 
don't worry, you don't need to get out, you can start worrying about Shalachmanos yet, right? We're not heading into Purim just yet. However, the message of the Purim story, the message of hope, even in the darkest hour, is a message that I want to, a theme that I want to give over today. And I want to, I want to look at how, you know, the, specifically the fact that Esther is in a very dire situation. She's headed for certain death as she's walking into the, you know, to the chamber of Achashverosh. She, you know, the people in the palace are looking at her and the, the workers in the palace are saying, forget it, she's good as dead. And they start, you know, we'll see in the parak where they start dividing up her things. They think they're going to be inheriting from her after she dies. So she's really in a dire situation. And yet she's able, without seeing any salvation in sight, she musters up the courage. We're going to see so clearly in the parak how she actively changes her mindset and puts herself in a hopeful state, even though she has nothing to actually be hopeful about, nothing physical that she could see to be hopeful about. And this is the message that we're going to talk about, and I'm going to give you three different ways of, you know, different tools to use to help yourself strengthen your feelings of hopefulness in the times where you really don't have any physical thing in front of you to be hopeful about. So often we say, you know, we wait for show up for things to show up in our life and then I'll be hopeful, right? When the when the when the when I get the job that I'm looking for, then I'll be hopeful that I'll be able to pay my bills. When I find that normal guy to date, then I'll be hopeful that I'm going to get married. When I, you know, when I find that friend, I'll be hopeful about my social life. So we wait for those things to show up, but Esther is teaching us here, no need to wait. We need to shift our dangerous mindsets of despair into a, a mindset of hope, and we're going to see three different beautiful and useful ideas here from this parak to help us go in that direction. So, parak chafbeiz pasuk aleph, lamnatzeach al ayelas hashachar. So what's the Ayelas HaShachar? The Medrash Shochar Tov explains that, that the Ayelas HaShachar is referring to the time that, that is immediately before the start of mourning. He says immediately before the start of mourning is the darkest point in the night. So interesting. It's the darkest hour because the moon and the stars all receded from the sky and there's one little star left, right? There's barely anything left in the sky to illuminate it. And that's when the dawn comes. And he says that that's compared to Esther. David is comparing the Ayelas HaShachar, that time of night when the dawn is coming in, to Esther. Because Esther is the one who took the Jews from their darkest hour and she heralded in the dawn. And I want to highlight a phenomena here that we often see in our own lives. That just, just like the darkest time is the time right before the light starts coming in, very often the biggest blessings in our life come to us after the darkest times in our life. And, you know, for example, a couple will struggle with not having children for a while, and then they'll have twins, these delicious babies who light up their life, or people will go, you know, go through a, a tukufa with a difficult child, and then that kid will be the, the greatest pride and joy. There's so many stories where it's the hardest things that, you know, end up leading directly into the light. And I heard a very nice quote from Rebetzin Fink, Rebetzin Dina Fink. She said, when we are down to nothing, Hashem is up to something. So this is a huge chizuk, that when things look bleak, we have to remember blessings are on the way. And why does it work this way? And, you know, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to give you 
uh, tool on how to actually use this idea to help yourself in those difficult times. But first I want us to understand, why is this so? And we see in Parak Chaf, if you were with me back then when we did Parak Chaf, it says, Yancha Hashem biyom tzara. Hashem answers specifically biyom tzara. He answers on that difficult day. What is it about, we asked back then, what is it about the Yom Tzara that instigates, you know, that starts up the, and, and brings in the Yeshua? So we gave some answers. I'll give two of them now just to remind you because I think this is very important to understand. The first idea is that, and we said back then, a mushal of a child who's a little toddler who's driving their mother insane, going into the fridge, take, opening up the egg carton, literally picking up one egg at a time, dropping it on the floor. True story, right? Um, one of these very difficult toddlers and she's going crazy from him and she decides you know what she calls her older daughter come please take this kid to the park I just I can't I need a break and the daughter's taking the little boy to the park and on the way she sees that he falls and he scrapes his knee and he's crying now is that mother gonna hesitate and say wait a second this kid's driving me nuts today I have a whole floor full of uh, egg yolks to clean up there's no way in the world I'm going to help my kid no way right no way, she's running over there with band-aids and kisses and lollies and everything that, you know, that she wants to give him and hugs. And she totally forgot about the fact that he was so difficult. Because why? Because it's the Yom Tzara. It's the pain of the child that is, uh, that is triggering that Rachamim in her. And the same thing happens with our Father in Heaven. It's our pain that specifically is there to alert him and trigger him. And that's what brings in the Yeshua, because he, he, he feels, he's a imo anochi b'tzara. The second idea is that when a person goes through a difficult challenge, they become closer to Hashem. They, they, they have no choice but to recognize that there's no one here to help me besides Him. And that's when their emunah bitachon gets stronger. That's when they daven more. That's when they develop a closer kesher. And when a person does that, and he goes into that kind of like soulful place in his life, He's in a different state. He's in a different position now. And he's able to then draw in all the good things. So this really, these two ideas help explain this concept of Ayelas HaShachar in our own lives. Why the, the light comes right after the darkest points. So this idea is something that we could call upon in those difficult times to help us. And we should create a mantra for ourselves to remind ourselves of this very true idea. And that will give us chizuk and help us get hopeful when there's no hope in sight. So to say something like great things are on the way or miracles, I, I know that miracles are happening behind the scenes. Right? I'm just waiting for those curtains to open. Have a mantra for yourself to hold on to. So that was my first tip. Uh, just a side note, a very nice idea from the Maharsha. The Maharsha asks that how could we say that before Esther was darkness and then from Esther and on was light, um, indicating that after the time of Esther, we had the light of Hashem revealed in the world, like we all just know where everything is coming from. How is, that, how is it possible to say that? We know that Esther's time marked the end of open miracles. So from Esther's time forward, Everything was like Hester Panim, right? We have everything that's concealed in nature. We don't see the Yad Hashem as clearly. So how does it make sense to say that before her time was darkness and after was light, right? How are we in a light time if we can't see the Yad Hashem? And I love the answer because it's, it's such a nice 
breath of fresh air. It's such a nice change from the usual, you know, things that we hear about Yeridus Hadoros and how we're on a lower level than they were back then. And the Marsha says in many ways that's true. But we have to recognize that we do have an edge over, you know, previous generations. And the edge is that while they needed open miracles to strengthen their amuna, they were on a lower level in amuna, so they needed those huge open miracles to recognize where everything came from. But in our generation, since because you know it was that last open miracle of that major perm story, that it was that massive miracle that sealed amuna into the psyche of the Jew. It like it kind of like ingrained it and rooted it deep inside of our hearts for forever. So that now we're at a at a point where we have the emuna so deep within our DNA, we don't need the open miracles anymore. And that's why it's considered that from the time of Esther and on, it was light because we don't need we're not we're not in darkness where we need someone to shine the light of of uh, Amuna onto us, we have it within us. Even though things are hidden, we still are able to call upon the fact that we know who's behind it and that we're comforted because of that. And that's a huge slush for us. So let's look at the positive in that way. Pasuk Bez. Kaylee, Kaylee, Lama Azavtani. She's saying, Why did you leave me? What does she mean? Why did you leave me? She's actually the Mepharshim say she's walking through the a cha- as she's going to Achashvero, she's passing by on the way a chapel with idols, and so therefore the Shechina of Hashem that rested with her, the Ruach Hakodesh, left her. So she's saying, "Why did you leave me? I need you now more than ever." And she says, "Kaylee, Kaylee," two times because when a person's in an emotional state and a difficult state, they repeat things two times. Help me! Help me! Um, so, Rachok Mishuasi, she's saying here, far from my own salvation, meaning she's saying, my motives here, Hashem, help me, because my motives are far from myself. I'm not worried about my own, you know, my own safety. Devresha Agasi, my anguished roar. My anguished roar is not because of my own self. It's only because of, of the rest of the Jews. And how do you know this? The, the proof is in the pudding, right? Because if she would have allowed the Jews to just, you know, the decree to unfold and for them to be killed, guess what? She was in the palace with the king. She would have been saved from all that. So she could have just done nothing and that would have ensured her safety. But instead, she put herself in the line of fire. She put herself at risk of almost certain death. Um, to save her brethren and put her own life at risk. So Rachok Mishuasi rings true with her. Pasuk Gimel, Elokai Ekra Yomam Velo Saneh, Velayla Velo Dumiali, right? We, we call to you at night, we call to you in the morning, you're not answering us. And the halacha of saying the Megillah twice is actually derived from this Pasuk. It's here to, you know, we're recalling by saying the Megillah twice, recalling the miracle that was brought for our people who were crying day and night. Okay, I'm going to skip a few psukim. I'm going to skip, you know, a bunch of psukim in this parak because it's quite long. But we're going to move on to Pasuk Tess. And here in Pasuk Tess, she's, you could see she's trying to strengthen herself and, and, and remind herself who's in charge and comfort herself. And through this, we could all take advice. So look at Pasuk Tess. Gol El Hashem. Goal literally means like roll, like a galgal, a wheel. Roll it over to Hashem. Um, 
you know, why does she use this interesting lashon of goal? It's we say in Tehillim, Hashem send to Hashem your, your burden. She could have said, give it to Hashem or send it to him. Goal is an interesting lashon. So the reason she says roll is because when you think of a burden that's so heavy, like the burden that she's in right now of her life being at risk, it's so heavy that the only way to move it is to roll it. And this is, I guess, how it, 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 it shows the heaviness of her emotions. And she speaks about, and we're going to skip some of the psukim, unfortunately, but she speaks beautifully about describing her body and how her mouth is dried out from fear and her body feels weak. And so she's saying it's such a heavy burden. She's saying, roll it onto Hashem. Now, how does it help, you know, to, to give our burden over to Hashem? Often we we think we get we get um, a little bit stuck in thinking that I'm going to find the answer to this. We forget, right? We we think we're the only one who could help ourselves, and and that creates a tremendous amount of stress, a tremendous amount of worry. And so when we decide that we're going to give it over to Hashem, then it's it creates a tremendous amount of relief inside of us. I want to give you a tool to do just this. Um, a simple tool, and I have an acronym. I have a, another trick for you. Who needs Dr. Seuss, right? Uh, an acronym that I'm going to offer you to help you in a very tangible way to give your burden to Hashem, to create greater feelings of hopefulness and, and, and lightness and airiness to get rid of that stress that's stuck in you. So we're going to use the acronym. We're going to take the word EASE, E-A-S-E. We're going right, to live your life with ease. That's going to be the new T.N. Tehillim slogan. E-A-S-E. -E. So E. The E stands for externalize. Whatever burden you're feeling inside, you want to take it out from inside of you, right? Who needs it there weighing you down? See it as a thing. Take it out from inside of you and in your mind's eye, see it in your hand as whatever you envision it to be. Is it a huge boulder or a rock or a big heavy package or perhaps, uh, you know, a, a president that you would have preferred not to be elected or a tuition bill that you don't know how you're going to pay or anything, any, however you are envisioning your burden, put it in your hand and see it there. And then A stands for assign. You're going to give Hashem an assignment. You're going to assign your burden to Him and see it being given over to Him however you please. You could see a hand coming down. You could see it floating up in a cute little hot air balloon. You could see... Um, you could see yourself rolling it to him, or you could see a spaceship going up, uh, you know, to Mars. What, however you want to see it, your your tuition bill, you could give it to a mailman in a little envelope um, with Hashem's address on it. Well, however you want to see yourself assigning it to Hashem. Um, the S stands for say. Say what you want. Say what you're needing. Right. Repeat over all the things that you're wanting. Well, as you're giving over this package, I, please let, you know, I want my shaitel to come out nice. It could be a small thing. It doesn't have to be so major. Anything that you're wanting, I need this and this type of girl for my son. Um, give over, if you can, in detail exactly what it is that you want. Good health, whatever it is. And the E stands for express. Once you gave over your burden and you said what you wanted, now you can express a line of affirmation. I, you can say something to yourself 
to remind yourself that you now don't have this burden anymore. I could, you could say, I can relax now. It's all being taken care of for me or something like that. It's all happening behind the scenes. I, I can feel light and airy. It's all, everything is going the way it's supposed to go. Now, this doesn't take away from the fact that we're still doing Hishtadlis. Hishtadlis, yes, right? But with a different energy. You now have a different energy in your Hishtadlis. Your Hishtadlis is not panicked or desperate. Your Hishtadlis is coming from a place where you know, I am not the one who's actually going to make this happen. I'm just doing my part in the puppet show. So, ease, E-A-S-E, give over your package to Hashem, externalize, assign, say, and express. That's the second tool. So the first tool we said was, use a mantra to remind yourself that this is the Ayelas HaShachar, the dawn is on its way, and ease, um, live your life with ease, give over your burden to Hashem. Okay, so she's saying, if you look at Pasuk Yod Aleph, she explains very clearly why why she's telling us Kol Al Hashem, why she's reminding herself to give over her package to Hashem. She's saying, Alecha hashlachti mi beten imi keliata. From when I was in the Rechem, from when I was in the womb, in the beten imi, in my mother's stomach, you were there for me. You were Kaylee, you were my father, you were my, my God. And... She's, she's saying basically here, she's recalling that Hashem was constantly making sure her needs were provided for despite the fact that she had no parents. She was an orphan. So from when I was a tiny baby, her, her mother died in childbirth, her father died before that, she had no one. So she's reminding, she's recalling for herself here how Hashem has been there for her in the past. We do that in Nishmas, Adheina, Azarunu Rachamecha. We say, Hashem, until now, your Racham has helped me, Velo Azarunu Chasadecha. Your Chasad has never left us. And therefore, I know, Al Techeinu Hashem Elokeinu Lanatzach. I know you're never going to leave me because I look at my past. And this is, this is a very important thing for us to do. Looking at our past, remembering the past chasadim, even so that when something is not in our present to show us that we're going to be okay, we could call from the past to remind ourselves how we were okay in all those times where we thought we wouldn't be. And just to give you a cute example, I was at a nutritionist once and I was complaining, you know me, I'm always complaining at my nutritionist, and I'm complaining, you know, you go to a simcha and the, the, it's so hard, those cute little meringue, little pies, you know, whatever. And she says, just tell yourself, I remember the taste. I remember the taste? I'm like, are you serious? Meaning, I should remember the taste last time I ate it, so now I don't need to have it anymore. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's the dumbest idea I ever heard. Remember the taste? That's why I want it now, because I remember the taste. <laughs> but anyways, I'm sure it works better with um, with this, this idea here that we're talking about. Remembering the taste of Hashem's chesed. Remember the taste in the present. Okay, so here she starts now to speak about you know, like I said, all her physical symptoms. We're not going to go through all these psukim, but she talks very, you know, intimately to Hashem. These, this is what I'm going through. This is how I feel. And she describes it in detail. Pasuk Yud Gimel, she says, Sivavuni parim rabim abire vashan ketruni. She says, the, the many bulls are surrounding me. She's referring here to the agents of Achashverosh who are surrounding the city, walking around the city and circling to find those beautiful maidens to enter this competition. Abiri Vachan Ketruni, Ketruni from the word Keser, they were seeking to have me crowned with a Keser. They were, like we said before, they were dividing up my, my things. 
They were they were making a girl who's gonna get my clothes. Alavushi Yapilu girl. They were they were seeing her as as if she was already dead. That's how dangerous the situation was. I want her jewels. This one's saying I want her tiara. The other one's taking her royal robe. Um, Nebuch, like, could you imagine the fear that she must have been through? And she's saying in Pasakhaf, Va'ata Hashem al don't be far away from me. In other words, make sure that the scepter of Achashverosh doesn't stay far away, that he elongates it towards me so that I could live. Pasakhaf Aleph, Hatzila Mecherev Nafshi. The Rashi Tevos, Hatzila Mecherev Nafshi, is Haman. Save me, and she's referring to Haman here. Miyad Kelev Yechidasi. She's saying, save me from the hand of the dog. Save Yechidasi here is referring to my soul. Why doesn't it say Nafshi, Nishmasi? What's with Yechidasi? It's an interesting way of referring to the soul. You don't see that so often. So she's, what, it, the reason she's using this interesting Lashon is because she's trying to say to God, my, my soul is, is not Stam. It's just not just like a regular, you know, uh, mass manufactured thing. It's a Yechida. It's unique. My challenges in this world, my mission here is all unique to me. So if you take me away from here, there's going to be a huge void in the world. She's kind of like imploring, like, please see that I am unique. You need me here. Miyad Kelev, from the hand of the dog. So interesting, the Zohar says that the dog she's referring to here, and this is where we really see the main idea of what we're trying to get across here in this parak of actively creating the hope. She's saying, save me, Miyad Kelev. Save me from, the, the Zohar says, from the Yetzir Hara, who is trying to convince me. So the dog is the Yetzir Hara, who's trying to push her to believe that she's going to die. She's saying, she, like her mind was already made up that she's going to die. She was in such a negative state of mind. And she recognized the danger in that. So often we don't recognize the danger in our negative states of mind. But she saw, she said, if I continue to think I'm going to die, I'm going to die. So save me from this Kelev that's trying to take my life from this Yetzirah that's trying to sabotage me by getting me to think negatively. And we see that from here, you know, this is the turning point in the Perak where for the rest of the Perak, the next couple of Sukkim are all positive, are all talking about how she's looking at, at, at what she is wanting from the future. She's saying, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to tell everybody about the miracles and everybody's going to come convert and want to be Jews and all this stuff ended up happening in the end. But it's amazing how she she switched from talking about what she was afraid of to talking about what she wants instead. That's an unbelievable tool that I want to give over to you and tell you how to do it as well because the world we create in our minds becomes the world that we end up experiencing. So we have to think good things into existence by actively paying attention to our thoughts, seeing our negative thoughts, and deciding deliberately to pivot and this idea of pivoting is a tool that we spoke about in the past in a different context but it can never be stressed enough catch yourself in that negative mindset and turn and pivot towards the positive have another uh, you know positive statement there in its place already prepared in advance for you to say every time you go into that negative place so for example I was coaching a woman who, who was went through a lot of difficulty in a relationship she was divorced and she was starting again to date and so she wanted to move on with her life but every time she spoke about dating 
she had like she would she would speak in this very negative tone and she would say i'm scared i'm so worried i'm so nervous i'm so scared that was like her go-to line i'm so scared which is so understandable and of course i validated it but at some point i looked at her and i said do you think maybe like this this i'm so scared line could be holding you back in some way could be keeping your emotions stuck in a negative place and she she was like yeah you know like She's like, hey, I didn't think of that. And what we did was we, we switched her script so that she decided instead of saying, I'm so scared, whenever she starts thinking, I'm so scared, that's going to be the trigger. That's going to be the alarm clock for her to realize I have to shift. And instead, I'm going to say something like, I'm being so supported. Each new man I meet is a new opportunity for me to get stronger and better and smarter and whatever it was and we we kind of like flipped the whole script and I have to say I'm not kidding you I kid you not her feelings on the matter shifted 180 degrees she's now so excited to get married she has zero negative charges around it at all because changing what we say changes how we feel which changes how we act which changes the things that end up surrounding us in our lives and changes the feedback that we get from others, which then, you know, changes the rest of the cycle that keeps going around and around. So pivoting is a very important tool. And we see it right here from Esther, where she says, um, save me from the Kela, from the Itahara. And then we see the next bunch of Sukkim reflect her new positive attitude. And let's look at Pasachaf Gimel, which really sums it up. I will proclaim your fame to my brethren, praise you in the congregation. So she's here predicting that she's going to be writing this Megillah, reading it out loud to everybody. And this is this is actually why we don't say Halal on Purim, because we have the Megillah. The Megillah is the Besoch Kahal it's the praise that Esther, you know, predicted that she was going to be giving. And of course she said it, and then she was able to see the fulfillment of that. So, and then the rest of the parrot continues with even more hopeful messages and more uplifting ideas that she gives us. So to conclude, we learned three ways of getting ourselves into a hopeful mode where we are able to take a situation where there's no reason to believe things are going to get better and create good things in our mind and create in our mind what we want to see and create a happier, lighter feeling. So number one, we said create a mantra to remind yourself that good things are coming. Number two, we said live a life of ease, E-A-S-E, externalize, assign, say, and express. And number three, we said pivot, catch your negative thoughts, and change them to what you do want instead, even if you don't actually believe it, just saying it will create that reality for you. And I really believe that including these ideas, employing these methods in your life will not only lift your spirits and make your life so much happier and lighter and less stressful, but it will also it will help you give up living by default so that you could now start shaping your life into the way you want it to be. Thank you for listening.